Welcome to episode 135 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. On today's episode, I talk with physical therapist Taylor Eckel. In fact, Taylor is my physical therapist. I first began working with Taylor back in 2020 when the world had shut down. I was in need of physical therapy for my, well, for my entire left leg. I was having problems with my hip, my knee, and my foot, and I discovered that online PT is an actual thing. Did you know that? Taylor helped me to be able to continue training throughout the time that I was rehabbing and to come out the other end uh, in a much better position. I decided to ask Taylor to come on the podcast after this past week, I was showing people on my stories how I was working through a flare-up of some plantar fasciitis and I was showing a strengthening exercise that I had learned from Taylor back in 2020. And I had so many questions, so much interest in what I was doing, so many people saying, hey, yeah, I have, I have plantar fasciitis, like I'm not sure what to do or nothing's working. And so I thought I'd bring somebody on who actually could help them with this because all I had was some anecdotal um, stories of what has helped me. And so I brought Taylor on to tackle that issue. So we do talk all about plantar fasciitis. Uh, Likely, if you've Googled what to do for plantar fasciitis, you have not found the approach that Taylor shares. So listen up if you're somebody who does have foot pain or you know that it's plantar fasciitis for that piece of it. We also talk about training while you're injured how to work through that injury. I know that can be a time um, that people feel a lot of discouragement. And then we talk about questions you can ask a potential physical therapist that you might want to work with to see if they're a good fit for you. If you're an active person with performance goals, and when I say performance goals, I'm not talking about being in the Olympics. I'm talking about like being able to run that 5K you want to run or even be able to continue lifting in your in your general daily workouts, questions you can ask to make sure they're gonna help you be able to do that. And then I wanna talk to all of you out there who are saying things like, I've got a bad back, or I just have this bum knee. We wanna talk about a perspective shift you can have to not let those things keep you from pursuing the physical activities you would like to take part in. Let's go. How's it going? Good. Thanks so much for coming on to chat with me. Yeah, it's great to see you. Yeah, good to chat with you. So look, I'm going to give you an intro too, but tell us tell us a bit about you. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Yes, I'm a physical therapist. I'm based out of Vancouver, Washington, which is not Canada. It's a suburb of Portland, Oregon. Um, and I <laughs> Do people think a- it's Canada? Oh my goodness, all the time. They're like, you live in Canada? No, I don't live in Canada. <laughs> I wish sometimes there's good snow up there. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. Awesome. So Taylor has been my physical therapist, has helped me a great deal. I was actually really jazzed when I found you because when I go to physical therapy, usually it's a really time intensive thing. Like I have to get in my car and I drive somewhere and I go two or three times a week and it becomes this like part-time job. If I have something I want to work on. And so it had never occurred to me that there was anybody who worked in the online space doing physical therapy and being someone who works in the online space. When I made that connection, I was like, oh, like this sounds like worth something checking out. And you definitely have helped me with my whole left leg issues. I had a lot of issues (laughs) with that leg. Um, The reason I finally thought to bring you on the podcast, Taylor, is because 
I've had this flare up in my right foot of plantar fasciitis. And I just was like on my stories one day, as we do, just kind of talking and showing them this exercise that you had taught me that I'd used on my other foot, strengthening my foot for plantar fasciitis. The number of messages I got was just stunning. I was like, I have no idea. So many of you want to talk about plantar fasciitis. And, you know, besides what has personally happened to me, I didn't have a ton to add to the conversation. And I said, look, let me try and talk to somebody who can <laughs> kind of talk to this from an educated position, not just their mm -hmm. own personal experience. And here we are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and we do have a couple of other topics to um, riff on here, but that's kind of where I want to start. First of all, so many people seem to struggle with plantar fasciitis. What do you think that's about? I mean, I think it's kind of like when you're shopping for a car, right? And the type of car you're looking for, then you see it everywhere. Yes. Um, I couldn't yes. tell you, like, I don't know off the top of my head what percentage. There's a of word people... for that. What is that called? Reticular something. Oh, I thought yeah. like recency bias, maybe. There's there's definitely I'm not a word. sure. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I think sometimes like when we are not only from your end, right? When you're talking about something, then you see it everywhere. But then also when people see, oh, Kim has plantar fasciitis too. I have it, you know, and then yeah. there's that point of connection. Um, but it is pretty common. I would say a lot of people get it at one point or another. I've had it before. And a lot of times the most um, common thing I see is that it's just, you did too much too soon, or you did more than normal in a pair of shoes you're not used to wearing. And so it's really ultimately a load management issue, right? Your foot experienced a load that it wasn't prepared for. And then sometimes it calms down pretty quickly. And sometimes that thing lingers and is pesky as heck. And it takes a little bit of coaxing to get it to go away. And ultimately what it is, it's just an irritation of the tissue on the bottom of the foot called the plantar fascia. Um, sometimes people you know, will talk about trying to stretch it or roll it out on an iced water bottle or a lacrosse ball or things like that. Um, those are fine if those things make you feel good. But when we did dissections in PT school, that's one thing that we dissect. And that thing is like steamrolled connective tissue. It is so strong and so thick, even in the most frail of cadavers. Hopefully that's not making anyone squeamish, but <laughs> like even just cutting it with a scalpel is hard. So the idea that you can you know, bend your foot a certain way or prop your toes up when you stretch your calf and are going to make a meaningful change in the length of it. Or also conversely, the idea that it overnight got shortened and you woke up and oops, my plantar fascia is too short. That thing isn't going anywhere. It's not really changing much. Um, certainly structures can make your arch raise or make your arch lower but that's not relative to the length of your plantar fascia, more just the position that it's in mm -hmm. relative to everything else that attaches to. Because that's definitely the common advice you find. Like if somebody, mm -hmm. like when I did this before I had ever reached out to anybody to help me, I was just like, you know, Googling around, like, what do you do if you have plantar fasciitis? Plant Inevitably, mm -hmm. those are the two things you find. Stretch it, roll it, either like you said, mm -hmm. on a water bottle or, and I will say like that water bottle thing, like in the moment, it does make it feel mm -hmm. a little bit better, but it doesn't make it better as in like, oh, you know, a few weeks later now I don't have this pain. I'm still like rolling mm -hmm. it out on that thing. Um, it definitely made a difference when I worked with you, the approach you took, which was not something when I searched, I found it all. So tell us more about the approach that you use. Yeah. So I remember one of the things that we really focused on was using motion at the hip to get your foot to create an arch. Mm -hmm. and so you'll see a common recommendation in plantar fasciitis is short-term use of orthotics. 
and the emphasis should be on short term. Some folks take that as, oh, my PT or my podiatrist told me to get orthotics, therefore I need to use them forever. No, <laughs> six to eight weeks usually is the course of, they can be helpful, right? Because they just can't prop up your arch, which can alleviate some of the, the loads on that tissue. But then we can also work on getting your body to be comfortable making that arch on its own. And it's good for our feet to be able to have an arch and to be flexible and move out of that position, right? We don't want to get stuck in one position, but, you know, avoiding that, you know, kind of flat foot position is usually a nice way to kind of monitor symptoms. So with you, we worked on a lot of like in standing and single leg using a band to create a pull on your torso so that for you, like a Palaf press, right? Mm -hmm. So that for you to fight that band, you not only were engaging your core, but it engaged your hip in such a way with a little bit of abduction, external rotation, almost without you realizing it initially, that that then lifts the arch of the foot and provided pretty significant relief for you. And, you know, some people it's like you, right. It's a quick response. Like, Oh, when I can get in this position, wow, that feels good. Other people it's like, well, it doesn't make it mad. So let's keep working on it for a little while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you'll see PTs do drills with folks. And I've done this before where you're asking them to um, make an arch, just like either sitting in a chair and then you progress to standing. Some people call it arch doming. Other people call it short foot because it's almost like you're making your foot short Mm -hmm. and that's fine and good and well. But I think a lot of times people, A, struggle with that, but then B, that's not really super practical to practice this in bare feet. And then it's like, you're in shoes. Now, what do I do? Right. And also like, we don't want to walk around just like thinking about our foot all day when half the problem is we're thinking about it all day because right. Right. Yeah. That's absolutely my experience. Yeah. So then using that Palaf press variation is something that we can do that you don't really have to think about what your foot's doing because you're putting in a position where it does what's comfortable does what's alleviating Mm -hmm. and then you can just try and replicate that feeling throughout the day versus consciously trying to like is my arch raising up (laughs) am I curling my toes I'm not supposed to curl my toes you know yeah and so really more about strengthening your foot strengthening the Mm -hmm. arch of your foot versus stretching out the Mm -hmm. tissue itself stretching out the foot um I this made a huge world of difference for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, thrilled to, to have that because, you know, and the other thing that we talked about that was counter to what I had read was the idea. I was telling you that I always walked around with shoes on because like mm-hmm. it hurt without it. And you're like, well, we need to start introducing you to having some barefoot time mm-hmm. throughout the day again to help strengthen your foot. And so mm-hmm. I started in really small increments and it would really just be the time that I was training, right? So as I was doing these exercises and, and doing my warm up for my, my lifts that day, um, that I would be barefoot. And then over time, um, you know, adding a little bit more on, which again, flies in the face of what everyone had ever told me. And every person I knew who had plantar fasciitis, they kept telling me like, you have to get the right shoes and you have to wear them all the time. You should never be without shoes. So I think people out there listening might be like, wait, that's what I was told too. Yeah. And that's really common. I think that again, that's not bad advice for very short-term management, right? Mm-hmm. When you're in this first week or two of it and it just hurts like heck and you got to live your life and every single step is painful wear the darn shoes, you know, wear, scrub a pair off and wear them inside if that's your thing, you know. But again, it's like the advice with the orthotics. These are short-term fixes, not long-term management, not 
setting yourself up for recovery. And if you think about the initial mechanism of injury being a workload management issue, which I think for you was you had walked a ton in Uggs, if I yes. remember correctly. That's exactly what it was. And there's nothing exactly wrong with was. walking in Uggs if you're used to walking it. Like that's what I wore in high school all the time. You know? But I would not was... recommend them for hours on end walking because that's in a, right. Stupidly enough, that's how I heard this one again. It's just been really cold this winter and I thought it was fine. Everything was fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those are such cute shoes and so warm, but they're not great for, um, they're not great for long periods of time for those mm -hmm. of us who struggle with plantar fascia issues. So. And that would be a good example, right? Of where maybe orthotics selectively could be helpful, right? Yeah. It's winter, say you're going to an outdoor event, Christmas caroling, I don't know. And you want to wear your cute Uggs or whatever other shoes that might be bothersome get some like over-the-counter super feet or something like that and just pop them in there for a yeah. little extra support now obviously don't go from zero to three hours on your feet in orthotics you've never worn before right right get used to them around town you know maybe wear them grocery shopping something like that but know that you've got that variety built in and so you know the same thing is the kind of the opposite idea is with the barefoot weight bearing and if you can prepare your feet to handle time on them, you know, barefoot, no support, your body supporting itself, then they're a lot more prepared for, say, you're going to wear some cute ballet flats or you right. want to wear flip-flops or something like that. Um, yeah. Another footwear consideration that people sometimes don't think about too, is that a narrow toe box is going to pinch your toe and pull that big toe in. And that can also, there's, there's a study a really long time ago that showed that in some folks that can actually compromise blood flow to the plantar fascia, which can just further continue that irritation. Okay. So that's definitely a place to look for those of us who have struggled with mm -hmm. plantar fascia problems. Looking at our shoes, are we exacerbating it by having little pointy toed, narrow toed shoe boxes? That's, that's good to know. That's really good to know. Um, what was I going to ask you about this? Oh, so how would, how would you suggest a person go about deciding like, all right, I've tried these things for me. It's just really still bothersome. Like how does a person know, like when it's time to go see a doctor, like get medical intervention for this type of thing? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think a good, I'm going to give two answers, right? I'm going to give a short term, like, yes, go get it checked out. And then I kind of, you can watch and wait, or you can get it checked out. Most things run their course in six to eight weeks, generally speaking. With the caveat, if you're getting like really sharp pain that can't be alleviated by rest, if you're, you're having like numbness or tingling or like a really marked loss of strength or something of that nature, that's a, like, do not pass go. Just go to your primary care and say, hey, who do I need to see about this, right? Huh. Um, but for those things that are kind of nagging, I think a lot of times the traditional funnel people follow is I go to my primary care who then sends me to sports med, which is a physician who is not, they're actually like a primary care physician with extra training in musculoskeletal, but they're not a surgeon. And then sometimes they'll be like, oh, well, like I can give you an injection or you can go to an ortho or you can go to PT. And so you end up having these multiple office visits, multiple co-pays. And while I'm hesitant to just blanket recommend PT. And, you know, I think my profession can be really wonderful and I can think it can be really terrible too. Mm -hmm. um, like most things going to, if you, especially if you have a referral from somebody you trust or whatnot, finding a PT in most States let, at least let you be evaluated without a referral. Okay. 
So maybe mm -hmm. that'd be a good first stop if you're having this kind of pain, like let's see a PT first before we head the like, let's go see sports med. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a fantastic plan. Um, mm -hmm. My own personal discovery I had this time, I have this, my, one of my best friends, she has this terrible life philosophy um, that if a little is good, more must be better. And literally across the board for everything in her life. And I'm always giving her a hard time about that because I'm like, there are just so many cases where that is not true, right? And this for me was one of them. The other day, my foot had really been bothering me and I got out my iced water bottle and it always feels a little bit better after. And it was a Saturday, so I happened to have a lot of time and I was sitting at my desk reading. And so I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it. And I did it for a really long time. And then I went out that day and oh my gosh, I felt like I had actually bruised my foot. Like it really hurt. So ladies listening, more is not necessarily better with that kind of treatment. Like I should have just stuck with the little like five minutes that I typically do. I don't know how long I did it, but the bottle had um, completely melted. <laughs> like it was a ridiculously long time. So don't do that. More is not always better when it comes to pain management, ladies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So let's kind of move this conversation in the direction we were just going as far as, you know, working with care providers. Um, I'm going to share an experience I had, and then I'd really like to get your take on this. So I was in physical therapy in person. I had several different shoulder issues, you know, something with my bicep tendon on this shoulder, something over here with my subscapula. I had multiple issues they were helping me work through this. And I had pain like just in daily living, like many things I did caused me pain. And it didn't occur to me till they were ready to kind of like release me from training. In my mind, I thought I'd been really clear. I was, you know, recreationally powerlifting, competing, like going to competitions and meets. And so obviously in that case, it's very important for me, able, me to be able to put a bar on my back. And, and you know, you guys can't see me, but imagine what somebody looks like holding the bar. And I couldn't do that pain-free with an empty bar. I couldn't do that pain-free with a broomstick. Like I couldn't get into that position still, but I was out of pain in daily living. Like I wasn't just walking around on a Tuesday thinking like, ow, something hurts. And we got to that point and she was really positive. And I was glad that I was making progress. Like who wants to be in pain? But, and I kept kind of, I thought I was pushing the issue. And then finally, I actually had to speak with her kind of really frankly and sternly. And I was just like, Sally, I am not ready to be released. Like I have definite goals and I want to get here. Can you help me get here? Or do I need to get somebody else? Because I'm not anywhere where I need to be. She did eventually help me get to where I need to be. Um, is that something you see a lot with people that the disconnect between what their goal is versus their practitioner's goal is? Yes. And I think a lot of that comes from a massive knowledge gap that a significant portion of PTs do not have basic strength and conditioning knowledge, which is so counterintuitive, right? You would think we do exercise and some of us do manual therapy. You would hope that we would be at least skilled and competent in the basics. And I would be willing to bet that that woman might not even have known the difference between a back squat and a front squat. So how she, on she earth- She was actually yeah. not happy that I did squats. She thought that it was a bad idea for anybody. Which flies in the face <laughs> of research. Yeah, my goodness. But yeah, the, I know PTs who don't know the difference between a barbell and a dumbbell. Mm. And so how on earth can they help you train? Which then leads to two problems. One- you shouldn't have to be pain-free in daily living to start working back to powerlifting. You should be given, here are modifications of how you can train without your shoulder making a peep. 
Mm. Or here are the parameters. It's okay if it hurts between in this exercise, but not in this one. It's okay if it hurts up to a three or four out of 10 pain, as long as it calms down enough, it doesn't interfere with your sleep. Here are three ways we're going to modify bench press while we work on your shoulder. Here's how we're going to modify your squats. Maybe you can tolerate deadlifts. Maybe you have to switch to trap barbs. The grip is more comfortable. You know, there's so many different options of how we can continue loading people so that you don't go through a six or 10 or 12 week course of PT without ever doing your sport. And I say, like, if you're a recreational athlete, that is your sport. If you're a mom who goes to the gym twice a week, that is your sport. You shouldn't have to take time away from your sport because one part of your body is being bothersome. And I run into this all the time. I got super riled up last week because I work in a traditional, you know, brick and mortar PT clinic. And, you know, I do consulting on the side and I saw a kid who wants to play college football and he had a pretty intense knee surgery. One that I, a similar one to what I had in high school. And he has essentially been languishing on a PT table for five or six weeks, doing little more than icing and waving his leg in the air. And the first day I had him, I just made him work his right leg that didn't have surgery super hard because ultimately if this kid wants to play college sports, he can't just like cruise through rehab without ever working the other side for a five to nine month rehab process and then be like, I'm ready to go back to sports. Like you're just going to get, anybody's going to get out of shape, right? Like I'm sure you lost strength during that time in the same way that like, not just on the affected shoulder, but probably on the other one too. Um, It's really important that we are not only creating a plan for how to get back to doing what you love, it's how we're going to get you back there, how we're going to keep you doing it perhaps in a modified fashion during and how we're going to keep the other side from developing deficits. Yeah. So finding ways to work around the pain, not just mm-hmm. waiting. Yes, that's huge. What questions can a person ask their practitioner when they first start to see if this person's going to be a good fit for helping them do that? I think the first question is how often do you work with somebody who has my goals? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you worked with somebody that had my goals? And I think you could ask them really point blank, you know, because they can fudge and say, yeah, like, yeah, I work with high school athletes all the time, or I work with women your age all the time. Okay. How many women your age do barbell back squats? Do you do barbell back squats? Now, if you ask me if I do barbell back squats, I'd be like, "Eh, sometimes I mostly like high box front squat because that for a variety of reasons is what I prefer. But the point being, I know my squat variations and can coach them and modify them. Right. Another good question is, do you have a barbell in your clinic? Do you use it? Do you use it personally outside of the gym? And that's not to say, you know, I know good PTs who don't lift formally, but they know their stuff from a strength and conditioning perspective. And that's awesome. That's also very rare. Mm-hmm. So I think a good starting point is, you know, do you even have the equipment to help me do what I do? Um, wow. That's you know, a good point. Cause I can immediately tell you there was not a barbell in this, this PT clinic I was at. There was a lot of equipment. There were no barbells. Mm-hmm. And I brought my own barbell to my current job. And just this past week, my boss sent me the receipt for a squat rack that I've been bugging oh. him for months and he finally ordered it. So, you know, again, there's a give and take, but you have, I have ways around that, right? I bought a trap bar and some bumper plates and brought that in myself so people can lift heavy you know, without, we can put their heels up and then it's a very similar, similar stimulus to heavy squatting. Um, so you having those conversations, right? Because if somebody said, Hey, do you have a barbell? I'd be like, yeah, I don't have a squat rack right now, but 
I do online programming so I can help you with your variations of what you're doing in the gym. I've had kids and adults too. You, Hey, video yourself in the gym and we're going to spend part of our session together looking at your technique and modifying it and doing some drills for that. Um, I think those are a good starting point. I think also asking like, it's okay to be asked for a very explicit plan. How long do you expect this will take? It probably won't be a firm answer. It'll probably be a range, but then you can narrow that down, right? What will my training outside of PT look like during that time? How will you mod- help me modify what I'm already doing? Yeah. How will you give me parameters to self-monitor? How much pain is okay? How much is not? Will you make that explicit for me? Yeah. Because a lot of times people feel like, um, and look, if somebody's working with me because I'm not a PT, basically my rule of thumb is if there's pain, you need to stop and we need to move on to somebody else helping you. But when somebody's working with PT, I think the idea that there's a level of pain tolerance that they can be working under is new to a lot of people, right? Like that we're like, oh, like some pain is okay when under the direction mm-hmm. of a professional. And I think a lot of people are like probably going to be surprised to hear that. Oh, um, Absolutely. So talk a little bit more because something else I think people are surprised to hear. They certainly are shocked when, when I talk to them about this, the idea. So you were talking about this football player and you were having him work his unaffected side. A lot of people are like, wait a minute, like, isn't that going to create imbalances? Talk to that a little bit. Yes. And no. And the kind of a sassy answer I like to give people is, well, do you want two flat tires? You know, you could be symmetric. Would you rather be symmetrical and weak? or asymmetrical and strong, I'll pick the latter every time. And I'm a great example of that. You know, I have a pretty significant muscle imbalance between my quadriceps, one leg to the other because of an old injury, but they're both pretty darn strong. And I will take strong over symmetrical in that case. The other side of the coin is that training the unaffected limb does help limit atrophy in the affected limb. So whether that's getting on a machine, heavy leg extensions, right? For this kid with his unaffected leg, or maybe that's, you've had shoulder surgery and you're in a sling. So your arm that's not in the sling is doing heavy overhead press with a dumbbell, maybe seated, right? So you're a little bit more stable. Maybe you're doing, you know, or even early on, if overhead pressing isn't super comfortable yet, you're just doing heavy biceps, triceps with a cable, mm-hmm. getting that stimulus, heavy lateral raises, farmer's carry or suitcase carries if you're one-handed, right? That there's a lot you can do that I'm not concerned about asymmetry so much as deficits, right? And I would much rather you have a asymmetry, but not a deficit. And a deficit I would define as something that is not enough to do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this idea that training the unaffected side actually can benefit the side that's injured. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of wild. Yeah. It is. <laughs> That's like, whoa. So do we know, like, do you know, like what mechanism does that work by? Yeah, that's a good question. My understanding is it's a combination of kind of the crosstalk you get between neurons at both the spinal cord level and then up in your motor cortex and your, you know, the outside of your brain as well. That's something about simulating that other side in a sense, almost like keeps things from going downhill on the other side. That's like the the best explanation I have. And I think there's crosstalk is probably the best way I would describe it of like, it's, it's relevant. So it kind of keeps things going. Got it. Got it. It's just, it's super cool. Our bodies just are mind boggling to me sometimes. And that's definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Okay. And then the other thing I wanted to chat with you about today, Taylor, is because I hear this a lot. So I work with women over 40. So I'm working with women in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, sometimes even in their 70s. And at this point in our life, most of us are a little bit dinged up. We have, we've had some history of injury from whatever overuse or whatever. Um, and I find a lot of people say um, things along the line, just casually to me, they'll be like, oh, like, you know, I have this bad back and just keep going. And I'm always like, wait, hold up, like, talk to me. Like, who have you seen? And what have they tried? And what, like, what's going on? Come to find out they've never talked to anybody. Like they've never, they just have accepted the fact that they have a bad shoulder, elbow, back, knee, whatever it is without ever having approached the um, healing it. And do you come across this? Or actually probably, yes. probably by the time people are ready to see you, they're like, I do need to see somebody. Yes. But I also come across it that, you know, maybe somebody comes in for their shoulder and then they casually mention, yeah, and I have a bad back or my favorite bad backs run in my family to which yes. I always kind of laugh because if this one, I do have stats on, I didn't have stats on your plantar fasciitis over 85% of adults will experience back pain at some point in their life. And the biggest quote unquote risk factor for having back pain is history of previous back pain. So mm-hmm. the way I often frame that to people is back pain is kind of like the, mu- the common cold of your musculoskeletal system. Everybody's going to get it. Most of us are going to get it more than once. Most of us, you know, it's going to go away on its own. And most of us know somebody who had back pain to the point it was debilitating. And unlike an elbow or a knee or a shoulder, or even to some extent our neck, right? We can't see it in the same way. We can be like, well, my elbow hurts but it's working. It's bending. Yeah. It doesn't look abnormal. I can feel it with my other hand, right? It's just it's this kind of wild west back there that we can't see. And we always know somebody who's had a horrible experience or maybe multiple people, or, you know, we've had that experience of it feeling something that makes it feel like we temporarily can't move. Like I've had back pain so bad that I can't put my socks on and I'm in my thirties. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, the it's really common. So that does not surprise me. And then I think it's a tough thing to kind of wade into those beliefs of like, well, is it bad or is this normal experience that's been pathologized? But then to your point also, are you limiting yourself? Right. And that's and- what I see. People will be like, I can't do X because of my bad X. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. let's talk about that some more. Like what, what yes. tried? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that definitely needs to be addressed. And I, I had a patient yesterday who's 37 and told me she can't pick up her four-year-old because she's too afraid to pick her up because of her back. Wow, that's and, a big limitation. Yeah, yeah, it's a very big limitation. And so why does that happen that way? I don't know. I definitely think it's more common in women. I think these we're a little bit more accustomed to just not do things if something hurts or accept physical limitations that we kind of maybe subconsciously think that's part of being a woman is you know, we're less strong in this or that. Whereas I, I see it a lot less often that a guy is like, oh yeah, I don't do X because of my bad back. It's like, I have a bad back and I do X, Y, and Z anyway. And it hurts. And yeah. sometimes I pay for it. There's definitely a different attitude. And I think, you know, if anything, I would just love to encourage women, like you deserve to be able to move any way you want to move and pick up anything you want to pick up without fear. Right. So let's get on that. 
let's get on that. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the best advice. I definitely think there's also this edge for women of my generation or just as we, as we age, um, maybe if we don't even say it out loud that we kind of accept the idea that frailty is inevitable. And this is something that I'm giving major pushback against um, that aging is inevitable and it's natural and we are all going to age, but frailty does not have to be inevitable. And so I think part of accepting this, I have this bad whatever, is we just expect that that's how it gets. Like this is this is the path we're headed on. Yes. So two stories I want to share that really, I think three actually, from patients. I have a group of gals. They all see me independently at work. And they range from, I think the youngest is 67 and the oldest is 91. And I call them my split squat squad because I make them all these split squats. And some of them have been sold on the idea of training split squats because if in the event you one day fall that's how you can get back up you know without needing to use furniture or whatever others it's so you can play with your grandkids but I have one woman who's right in the middle of that age range who confessed that she has not gotten down on the floor in 10 years oh wow and I have another lady who is a little bit older late 70s like 78 and she just graduated from PT after getting back to skiing this year. She's skied every year for the past who knows how many years. And her motto is, if I'm not falling, it's not a good day skiing because it means I'm not skiing hard enough. And so we were working on split squats and having her do split squats in her ski boots at home, which if you've ever worn ski boots are hard to move. Yeah. Um, And she was just working out really hard and is on a routine. And she and her husband work out at 6 a.m. now while they're waiting for their paper to arrive. Um, So there's this whole range... And then another lady came in who's 91 with a referral from her primary care for back pain. And she's like, honestly, I don't know why I'm here because number one, this woman did not look 91 at all. Like she looked so good. And she's like, I don't know why I'm here because yeah, I had some back pain like two weeks ago, but by the time I got the appointment scheduled, I'd started going to the gym four days a week and now my back doesn't hurt. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this whole range, right? From the 37 year old, I can't pick up my four-year-old. I'm afraid to pick up my four-year-old or afraid to put laundry in the dryer to this 91 year old. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm here because I'm going to the gym four days a week. No, granted the 91 year old's life is probably a little less stressful than the mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, oh, mom, let's grant that. But yeah. I think that was really interesting in the self-efficacy. Yes. I was going to say, I think this leads into the idea that a lot of this is in our mind as far as what we believe we can do what we're capable of, what we should be doing mm-hmm. um, before we even get to the physical practice of what we're going to try to do. It's yeah. of it is up here. Yes. And that mindset of, you know, the one woman, if I'm not falling, it's not a good day skiing to her, essentially her peer. Who's like, I haven't been on the ground in 10 years. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of beliefs there to unpack that got them sure. to where they are in those in similar life stages. Yeah. And changing those beliefs can be a good first step to then changing physically what they're capable of achieving. Yes. And I think you, you probably see a lot of parallels to dieting with this too, right? I always fail at dieting. I can never lose weight. Like all these narratives that we tell ourselves about our bodies really ultimately have a lot to do with our habits and how those things play out. Absolutely. 
Fantastic, Taylor. Great. I'm really excited you shared those stories. Really good for people to hear. So look, before we end, I always like to ask women about their own training in their life. Like, what are you doing that excites you these days physically? I'm doing a lot of different things and yeah. I feel like I'm constantly trying to balance how to fit them all in. So I'm strength training at least two days a week. Um, I'm on more of a total body split these days because I'm also climbing, rock climbing at least two days a week, mostly indoors right now. And then usually snowboarding at least once a week and trying to run at least twice a week, but this usually only happens once. Um, and then I also just got a stationary bike so I can get a little bit more cardio because I'm trying to make sure I hit my physical activity guidelines of a minimum 150 minutes of moderate yeah. intensity aerobic activity. So like last night I went to the climbing gym for a while and then I came home and while I watched the show, I was on my bike and with a heart rate monitor, just doing some zone two work yeah. um, today. I think I have a gap in my schedule. So I'll probably lift at work and have some heavy trap bar deadlifts on the menu and some overhead press. So I tend to do like a, you know, a hinge with an upper body pull. And then later in the week, I'll do more of a squat with a, or sorry, hinge with push and squat with pull. So that's kind wow, of how you're I doing it all. all the fun yeah. things, all the strength, all, things, the, fun all things. the cardio things. You're like, I'm just moving in all the ways. I love that. Yeah, was, I love hearing yeah, but, that. But trying to split it up into bite-sized chunks. You know, I yeah. didn't even, like, I, I did 30 minutes on my bike while watching a show last night. And then I hopped off the bike and finished the show on the couch. And it was really great. Oh, that's fantastic. I love hearing <laughs> it. So Taylor, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, so it's easiest to find me on Instagram. Um, I am taylorecle.dpt. Spell your last name. Yeah, E-C-K-E-L. Always and important. Then, nobody can spell. Nobody, when they hear my name, they don't know. And I hear yours. I'm like, <laughs> no one's going to know. Is there a C? Is it just a K? What do we have there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It starts with an E, like echo. Um, and if you find me on Instagram, you, you'll probably find me ranting about the state of physical therapy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I do tend to talk more towards coaches and clinicians about you know, reasoning and decision-making and those sorts of things. You'll also see my dog on there. And then I usually have a link in my bio for folks who do want to schedule a consult. Usually in this weekday mornings is when I have those open. And you still, you're still taking people. I am. Yeah. Just for 30 minute consults. And then we do follow-ups as needed, but to your point about physical therapy earlier, that's often two, three times a week. Um, at both of my first jobs out of PT school, I routinely got in trouble for, in their words, not seeing people frequently enough. God. My current, yeah, my current job, I think my patient, they don't care as long as people get better. Um, I have some folks that I see once a month. I have other folks. I have a lady who's in her forties that I've seen, I think six or seven times since July. Okay. And then wow. I have other folks who start it once a week and then we go to every other, and then we go to, you know, once a month and then they're done. Um, yeah. but with online, it's usually as you experience, you know, a one time, maybe a little email follow up here or there. Mm -hmm. And then some folks book you know, another 30 minutes down the road if they need it, but a lot yeah. of times they don't. And that might surprise those of you listening, but I can't recommend Taylor highly enough. This was such a great fit for me. Um, you know, we did it all on like a Zoom call and she watched me move. Like it was not quick. Like she watched me move in all the different ways and had me do different things and then wrote me this, you know, this treatment plan. And I did it on my own and it was fantastic to be able to do it here in my house, not driving anywhere, like not taking all that, that time to do it. And wow, it really worked. So I love our online world. Yeah. And it usually ends up saving people a lot of money too, because yeah. it's like, 
think it's 80 bucks for a 30 minute consult with me. If you, if you need more time, we can make that happen. But that versus a $40 copay that you can see somebody time ten, you go. Yeah, 10 times. Yeah. 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 So anyway, can't recommend Taylor enough. Taylor, thanks so much for taking time to come on and talk with us here today. It was absolutely a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Really glad to catch up with you and chat, Kim. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, organizational. If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you.